Hi, everyone, and thank you for uh, joining on the Markeisha Hall podcast. I'm your host, Markeisha Hall, and I have my old friend. Feels like we're old friends. Yeah, of um, course we are. Yes, and um, Aaron Wright, and we just are going to hop into the conversation that we were already having on um, special education and just access to education and um, really come out with a plan how we're, how we're going to get this train on the track right or moving really right for some change yeah or just get on the train get on the train right figure out how to get on it right yeah um well yeah i just want to say at the outset we were talking earlier and i want um to make it clear to everybody um because i i think that uh parents kind of get typecast right we get kind of shoved into a certain box and oh they looked at in a certain light um you know, I value what teachers bring, you know, you're right. I've, um, with your history, your experience, you know what it's like being in a teacher, being a teacher in these situations where yeah. um, the parents or and maybe the parents aren't engaged. Maybe the parents aren't there right. and you know, there are, you know, educational issues or developmental issues going on with the child. So you know what it's like being on that side of the table uh, and you know what it's like advocating for children on that side of the table. Right. So I really do value uh, what teachers bring yeah, yeah. Um, to this. And I don't, I really, again, I sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but I really don't think that we are on different sides. I think we're both on the same yeah. side of the issue, which is the, the child side of the issue. It's just that we are stuck in this system that was mm -hmm. created, you know, by design and whether that design was uh, intentional uh, to this end or not, and this is just a byproduct of it, um, but unfortunately we're, we're placed almost at odds. Yeah, um, yeah. and it, it can feel like an us versus them battle. Right. Um, but if we're going to try and get that train moving, if we're going to try and get on it, I, I think there needs to be some basic understanding that teachers and parents are on the same side of this issue. Right. right. I, in a lot of ways, you know, parents have a difficult time because we are constantly kind of advocating and fighting and pushing against the system. Right. Teachers, too, I think, find themselves in a really difficult spot because yes. not only do you want to be there for your child and advocate for them and help these parents understand what the process works uh, or how it works and, and what they need to do, what their rights are, um, the steps they should take uh, to engage the IEP process. But they're also having to push back potentially against their boss. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you might have a principal or a superintendent who's really budget conscious. Yeah. Um, or might not, they themselves might not know how the, the system and laws work. Right. Um, and so the teacher then finds themselves in this really kind of precarious position, especially if they're not, you know, tenured and, and their position isn't necessarily secured for either this year or the following year or for the next right. 10, 12 years. Um, so I, I really think the first step in a lot of getting that train moving is an open dialogue. Um, mm -hmm between parents and teachers and and how do you establish that trust because it can be really difficult i think yes. yeah all right i'm just shaking my head because <laughs> yeah. when, I was, when i was in the classroom that is exactly how i felt and i know that um i'm not in the classroom anymore and i am a parent and i'm um talking to parents not to the exclusion of teachers um but just because it's so hard much harder on this side like 
I could get choked up right now just thinking about our first week of school um, and the things that I had to do. And it's just exhausting. And I know, and he has a good team and his teachers are willing, but they don't have the tools that they need or the um, support, not like support from the administration. Our administration at his school is amazing too, but they don't have the, enough tools, enough people or enough enough to, right. to no, and it, it, they you, want to. Yeah. And if you yeah. think about all the different ways in which disability presents, right? right. I, I don't think that uh, teachers, certainly administrators, have that um, exposure or that kind of right. access to understanding um, how best to support these children. Right. And so I think, and if somebody, if you're if you're interacting with somebody whose ego might be fragile, right, they might take real personal offense right. to what you're trying to bring right. uh, forward, which might be a legitimate safety concern, right? right. Uh, yeah. Or a legitimate educational concern. Right. But I think this last, you know, we talked earlier, I think, I kind of hope, like I have this, I, I don't know why I always do, but I always feel like there's this hope or there's this one thing that we can point to. Right. I think this last year, um, or a year and a half really has exposed kind of the general American public to how difficult life can be right. uh, and how impactful and not a positive way um, lack of access to an education can be, right? Mm -hmm. So that if you are not properly supported and for so many families this last year, year and a half, you know, Zoom school didn't cut it. Right. Um, and the mental health effects that, that go along with not being able to physically interact and be supported by uh, teachers. Right. So I, I kind of really hope that maybe there's a recognition there that, you know, this needs to be looked at across the spectrum, right? Whether you're abled or disabled, this is a, I think a universal issue is that yeah. if you're not, if you don't have access, there's a lot of untoward effects. Right. Well, just the history of, of the school system, it wasn't meant to have this many kids, you know, like when it first started, I think that's what it was. It was one teacher and just a handful yeah. of, of kids, which works out great. The, the less students there are, then the easier it is to address um, each child concern. As our population grew and grew and grew, the system, the school system, general ed, and then eventually special ed, because there wasn't even special education right. um, initially, um, the system didn't grow to accommodate that. So now where you used to have like in the, the schoolhouse, like one teacher and a handful of students, now you have one teacher, 30 students, and then you have um, what we know to be different types of learning styles, different disabilities in that classroom. We have pull it, we have all of these different things that, but the original system hasn't been revamped. Um, no, no, and I, there's a, well, there's a history of the, like the methodologies of teaching, right? Like the very top down paternalistic, yeah. I'm telling you, this is how yeah. you learn. I think that's, you know, one column or one framework. Um, and then there's the very real history of our children, you know, if, you know, if our kids were born, you know, 40, 50 years ago, uh, they wouldn't necessarily be allowed uh, right. in the school. And certainly, you know, children of color, yeah. uh, you know, up until 1954, okay. right, you, you weren't um, lawfully, you were allowed to be excluded uh, right. 
from public education or at least integrated public education. Yes. So it's, um, you know, we've never been there, right? We've yeah. never been to a place where integration and inclusion worked. Right. Um, I think it's, I think the more kind of noise and exposure we provide to it, the, um, the more light we shed on it, you know, the, the more we can inch along and move that train forward. Um, but education has never worked for what is a large, actually a large group of people, right? It's, it's, it's only kind of been, right. What has worked has only kind of been tailored to a small, you know, elite, typically white, typically male group, because that was who our society put forward as, as important. Yes. So it's, it's tough. Parents are fighting against the, uh, not only a one-on-one in the moment system, but they're fighting a a historic history uh, of just non-inclusion. Right. And, and changing that is, I feel like personally, I was exhausted last week, just the, but since I know both sides, I dust myself off and put together, <laughs> you know, put together, but I know a lot of parents aren't in the place to fight for their kids and then fight for a, the bigger cause. And I'm not saying fight, like people think like that's negative, like we're like, er, but we're just saying like, literally these are, my child deserves to have the way that he learns uh, addressed so that he can show he has a lot of things on the inside of him. He has to show it in a different way. It's not in, um, he's not writing five paragraph essays, but he's a great storyteller. You know what I'm saying? So we have to not ding him for that writing piece and really respect and honor that he's like, oh, this is a great story and find a way to talk to text or different things in the classroom that honestly, some teachers just aren't aware of it. Even though I was a special education teacher, the things that I'm still learning to this day, I just be like, I could have did that for my student. I didn't know. If I had known, I would have done a, a lot a lot more right but like i did a lot but there's just it wasn't like you teach special education and they say oh here's um training on aac and here's um a slant board this is what all these things i learned really from a parent telling me like adaptive scissors that just blew my mind when i was like <laughs> what, are, what are these right i had no clue until a parent said that they used it in an outside um therapy when i was teaching and i was like went to the you we had them in storage or wherever they got them for them but since i didn't request them because i didn't know to request them they were just in storage and that's the problem that you know that i have and i feel like that's when teachers get like oh my gosh i'm doing i i feel them when they're saying that like i i just didn't know now that i know that there's adaptive scissors well that opened up a whole nother access to i taught preschool so scissors Scissor skills was a big thing because we did. Yeah, like that's a big deal. Yeah. Yep. And um, and being able to just do this instead of pu- putting both your hands in there when you're already having um, OT issues was a, a game changer. They got to participate yeah. in the craft section um, portion of the day. Yeah. Where before like- it would just be us doing it for them, cutting it out, and just kind of hand over hand, which right. I'm learning about that too. Right consent and um all these all these things that i'm learning about um and and trying to get other teachers like it's not against them either they literally i literally didn't know 
if I did, I I would have done things better. Right. You know? But they got to experience success, right? Because right. of that access and that right. success begets success. It's, you know, it's, as you're talking, it's interesting, the idea of a special education teacher versus the regular or gen ed teacher. Um, talk about this in a different, couple different forums, but it's tough to see somebody with a disability or see somebody who's disabled. Sorry, I'm using the wrong language. Um, if you don't see them, if they're not there. Yeah. So the fact that there are almost two separate, you know, parallel, separate and not equal educational systems uh, for disabled children um, has long lasting impacts. Yeah. You know, I didn't get to grow up, you know, when I went to school, elementary school, public elementary school, even, you know, all the way through high school, disabled children, A, if they were in my classroom, they weren't supported. Right. Um, in the way that I think we think of supporting uh, someone now, right. or they were functionally removed. I mean, they were actually educated in a different classroom, right. you know, cohorted together. Uh, their, you know, their meal times were specifically separated from everybody else's. So really there was just this complete blind spot uh, when it comes to disabled children. And so when you grow up and then as, a, as an adult, if you don't have that exposure, you actually don't see them. It doesn't right. cross your mind. It, you, right. you wouldn't, if they were using uh, adaptive scissors, I would have no clue that that product existed right. Right? because it's, it's just not there. So I think when you kind of bring that all back to even those early elementary classrooms, if there's no kind of cross-pollinization, if there's no integration, if there's no bringing together of the regular or general education teacher and the special education teacher, if, the, if those classrooms don't overlap um, and there's no kind of access point for exposure, and I don't mean just exposure for that disabled child, right? exposure for the children and yeah. the parents and the teachers and all the other educators of non-disabled children, you're not going to see yourself as an integrated community. And then it's going to be really hard for those people to have empathy about, well, what, how can I help you access your education? Mm -hmm. So it's tough. Um, it's tough to push back and fight with somebody if you've broken bread with them. Right. So if you've sat down at that table and you've had a meal, right. Right. It, it's really hard to say, no, I don't, we're not going to do this for your child. We're not going to support your child. But if you have, Right. If those parents have had that child over for a you know play date, or those children have been allowed to do whatever together at that same educational table, and those teachers have been there supporting both children, it's tough yes. to to say no, and it's tough to pull that away. And then right. it just becomes integrated. It becomes natural. It becomes part of what the fabric of a classroom looks like. Right. Um, but the fact that, and again, this comes back to our, you know, what we open with, we're fighting a system. Mm -hmm. We're not fighting people. And the system has separated us. Yes. And the system has kept, you know, disabled children out, really out of the mainstream and out of quote unquote normal or regular education. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's what we're fighting against. So to bring right. it back to the original point, we're not fighting individual teachers. You know, I don't, I don't have any vendettas against individual administrators or right. superintendents, but, but what the system has set up, um, you know, puts you in charge of administrating 
you know, a classroom or a school um, that really isn't integrated and really doesn't work for my child. And I've got to figure out a way to make it work for them because the consequences to that are huge, whether they're mental health issues, whether it's, you know, the ultimate high school graduation rate, mm -hmm. which, you know, is directly related to whether or not they're going to be able to get a job or right. go to college uh, right. post, um, you know, high school graduation. So it's, we know this innately as parents, um, but I don't know that the system and the people involved with, with us know that because they haven't had our shared experience. Right. So as, as close as, as much as we can bring them in and, and have that community, I think the, again, to bring it back to the train, I think that that will help as many people as we can get on that train that don't look like us, mm -hmm. the better off we're going to be. Absolutely. And I think about, um, because um, I use my son, that uh, he's in a general ed class with RSP speech and OT supports. Last week was tough. Yesterday was tough. And I was like, ah. I just like, oh, like, am I making the right decision? Maybe I should put him somewhere where it would be more, more support, maybe, maybe more support. But then I was thinking, well, that's not, um, and that, you know, we don't know. It's only been a week of school, but it was really tough on me to watch him sh struggle, yeah. you know, when we ha we do have things set up for him and we still have to tweak it. Right. But then I was thinking about, like you said, um, like Ruby Bridges, like her mom must have just felt, I think of, I feel like that, not that he's Ruby Bridges, but parents are afraid to put their kids also in there to be like maybe the poster child for like inclusion at the thing, no. but someone had to do it. It's a legitimate fear. Yes. Right? Because pulling, putting them in. Yes. Because people have compartmentalized and siloed thinking. Putting them in means that in some people's minds, that means not supporting them. Right. Right. So there's a there's a, I think there's a real difference between, you know, pull out services, whether you're in a resource room or some sort of other supportive environment versus being in the regular classroom. But if you're in that regular classroom unsupported, that's not the least restrictive environment. Right. In fact, that's a more restrictive environment. Right. So if you're going to have that child in the regular classroom, which they should, they should have every right to be there. And the other children should have every right to see that child there. Okay. They still have to be supported, right? So Absolutely. those services that are happening in that resource room really shouldn't be any different because they happen to be in the regular classroom. Right. They should be that they should carry over. Right. Um, it, it, that I think those are some of the the misnomers, right, and the lack of training that you know your principal or your administrators or your school psychologists your teachers don't have that awareness they think okay location determines services but it really shouldn't right right and seeing those things um yeah, tell a little secret but i don't i don't work for a district <laughs> tell anymore, them all. So i don't work for the district anymore so <laughs> and what i'm seeing is and, and what i've done also as a teacher because that's the way that they told me how to, not told me, but show me how to do it. Like there's goal banks. So ashamed, Aaron. No, it's okay. Goal banks. And so when I see my son's thing, and I know that it's from a goal bank because out here we use SACE, um, the, where yeah. they use their thing. I'm like, now I used to do this also. So I'm not like 
point wagging the finger. It was the way that I was taught to do it. But those goals in, in getting his um, teachers, like this is real life journey for me right now, um, doesn't work like that in a classroom. Do you know what I mean? Like the goals yeah. from the goal bank don't necessarily fit the way that it says it's gonna, it no. doesn't fit. So that's why we're tweaking yeah. what what I even thought was going to be a good goal when we, you know, did his triannual last year. But now that he's in the classroom, I'm like that, that's not going to, that no. doesn't work. No, they're not individualized. Um, it's not individualized. And, and I feel like, like the conversation for around the support and the access is that it's okay to tweak it. Like, we're not saying, like, you made a sucky goal, or even if you got it from a goal bank, even if it started from there, we're just saying, like, well, that doesn't work, so let's tweak it. And um, that's hard. It's a hard corner for some of the people working with, you know, working with our kids to turn, because they're used to kind of the IEP being once a year we met for the IEP meeting, and then you're going to get the progress reports, hopefully. Um because that's that's a thing, right? And then we'll meet again next year. And here we are trying to say like, well, hey, that's not working out the way we saw it in real time now. It looks good on paper, but in the classroom during the day, that's not working out. So can we tweak it? Then everyone's like, oh, what? They can, well, they're <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I don't know, she's coming back. <laughs> right, because they're just trying to check the box. Yes. They're just trying to, to you know, it. it if I'm going to extend grace, I can appreciate that the, the IEP process is exhausting as it is for parents. I imagine is equally exhausting for teachers, right? Who have to figure out how to get classroom coverage during whatever the meeting is. Right. And it's, if you kind of have to repeatedly come back to something that you thought maybe you'd worked out, that can be tiring. I, 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 I can appreciate that, but exactly what you're saying. Right. If you if you design goals or you pull something out of a generic data bank to insert in there and it's just not working like this is the way the system is supposed to work, the way the system is, you're supposed to call an IEP meeting. Right? right. And you're supposed to say this. This just isn't working. Right. Why should you have to flail and fail through right. a year's worth of bad decision making, you know, back in August or September? Right. When when the system actually, though, if you're going to look point to the positives in the system, you should be able to call a meeting and sit down and right. say, this is not working. We need to be able to revamp right. it. Without, because it was good intentions. I said yes to those goals, actually. Right. But he had not been in um, school. He right. went from school to pandemic to first grade. <laughs> right. right. You so, didn't have data. You, right. didn't, you didn't have data. You didn't have. Good. Yeah, these, these look good. And now we're in the classroom. Even a weekend, I'm like, this is not you know, good meeting with his teacher and seeing the, being in the classroom environment and just looking around me like some things that wouldn't bother another student, like he gets really cold, but he's not able to, he won't tell you that he's cold. Like his little feet will be cold. And I'll be like, babe, go get some socks. And he'd be like, oh, oh yeah, I'll get, I would, I'll get socks. <laughs> so they'll be freezing though. So I was like, oh, he was trying to tell me something. And I looked up to where his seat was and he's right by the vent. So the air is definitely blowing on. So that throws him off. That right. just throw him off every single day. And sometimes it's little tweaks like seating um, that a teacher wouldn't know because he's not saying that he's cold, 
But me being able to look in the, his environment and be like, we need to make this accommodation. And not just in this classroom, if he goes to PE right. or they go to um, the, the library throughout the day, we need to make sure that something as small as the air being on him can disrupt his whole day. But it is an easy tweak, is an easy tweak to like an easy accommodation or modification to right. what needs to be and to follow him throughout the whole day. Right. And um and that's not hard. That's not difficult. Not hard, right. But if they it is hard if they don't see you as a person. Right. They yeah. don't see your child as a person. Right. Right. Then it becomes, ugh, what is right. his mother asking for right. again? Right. Right. Well, we have to do this every time he goes, mm -hmm. make sure where he's sitting. Right. Here she comes. <laughs> right. Always yeah. in the principal's office, always right. complaining. Right. So I, it, it, I really think this is where those relationships become critical, yeah. figuring out how to build that, um, seeing eye to eye so that they, they, they do see you as another member of the classroom community, right. as opposed to, well, this is just the kid that comes into my classroom for a couple hours a day, but most of the time he's in the resource room, mm -hmm. right? right? So not seeing them as an other, but seeing them as a member of, you know, and belonging to this classroom community. It's tough. That's a big, it's, 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 actually, it's you know, like it, we were saying earlier, we're fighting a mountain of history. It's, it's tough, but we got to. But you got to do it. Some action steps. I'm always encouraging parents to not to be best friends. There's tons of teachers that my, all my kids have had that I've been like, giving the side eye <laughs> to. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the world, right? And we have to, um, you know, see how we can deal how we can deal with it. You don't have to be best friends with all your kids' teachers. You don't have to go have Starbucks together, or you don't have to bring them gifts and exchange um, anything. But but professionalism and um, the 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 say, the well being of your child in school. Right. So it's not like when we're talking about relationships, it's not like, oh, hey, Aaron, yeah. my kid's teacher, let's go have a Starbucks. Right. But it is just a mutual respect that I'm going to listen to what you're going to say in the classroom too. Because yeah. sometimes uh, parents do this also. Um, I'm talking about myself also. And I'll be like, oh, he's just doesn't like that because he has sensory issues. But it could be really that he just doesn't like salad. You know, <laughs> like my husband doesn't like guacamole. Right. I don't know if I would have known that before we got married. I don't know that we would have gotten married. But <laughs> yeah. doesn't like guacamole. Yeah, called it off. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a big deal. Um, but you know, what I'm saying like sometimes it's we um, other people see things in our kids that we we, we don't. So they were like, no, he's just yeah being a seven year old or six year old. He's not seven yet. He keeps telling me he's seven. Um, he's just being a six-year-old. Like, no, he was fine. That was he was playing with the whole time, and then he just got mad because we had to put it away, or something like just being a six-year-old. Um, and so I want to listen to the teacher too. Like, it's not always something that has to be addressed at an IEP. It could just be his personality coming out. He's interacting with different friends. It doesn't always have to be about um, his disability. So we want to listen to the teachers too and how their day and programs going at the same token, listening to the parents and how their day is outside of school is important. And when I was talking to his teacher and saying, well, yeah, you saw him do great all day. Great. He, and then he came home and started pulling his hair and just 
out, you know, unregulated for the rest of the day and I couldn't figure out what, you know, can't figure out what's going on, then that's what you what happened during the day is affecting him for the rest of his day and into the next day. Right. So listening to what tweaks that we can make throughout the day, it could be simple and it doesn't have to be like relation. We don't have to be best friends. And for me to hear what you're saying, how he's um, doing what he's doing in the classroom and what I'm saying, how that affects the rest of his day at home and getting to see you as a fat, like a family. Like yeah. I have other kids too. You know, we need to get to these things also, or we have a dog or it just helps her communicate with him and see us as a whole, as a family. He's right. a part of a family and a part of a community. Um, so no, totally agree. And, and some of those might, it, you don't have to be best friends. Yeah. Like you're saying, you don't have to have Starbucks together. Mm -hmm. I do think there is value in a couple things. One, having a conversation outside of an IEP meeting, yes. right? With, if it's going to be your long-term teacher, whatever that relationship is that you think is kind of going to be really one of those crucial relationships throughout the year, um, where you can just kind of have a sit down conversation and depersonalize it, right? Don't make anything about the teacher, right? right? And in fact, if, if you can, you know, use that opportunity to say, look, I really respect what you do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you bring a lot to the classroom. I, you know, your knowledge and your history of, of teaching for me is really valuable as a parent. Right. Um, you know, and try and again, see them as a person, right? Right. And let them right. know that I, I'm appreciative of what you're bringing to this classroom and what you can right. do, what you can do and what you're doing for my child. Right. Sometimes I think having those conversations outside of an IEP take the heat yes. out, out, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can, then when you see them on campus, you can always kind of wave and, right. and smile. And it, it, it does start to personalize you right. a little bit. So when you have these conversations about, you know, socks or sitting next to mm -hmm. vents or any of that kind of stuff, it softens it, right? And it yeah. takes, it makes it less personal against them. Absolutely. And more of a shared caring about their student. Right. But no, it's tough. It's not it's not tough. easy. And not everybody's built for having these conversations with right. you know with teachers. So right. I think folks like you and I are probably in unique situations, right? We we're used to it, right? We're right. on campus and engaged in whatever mm -hmm. way um, we're doing it. And that's just not how a lot of parents are are built right. or wired or even have the time or wherewithal right right there's there's so many things that go to i think having older kids too and i'm uh, sure you see this on um insta too we have older kids so they weren't on iep but i know that going into the classroom and doing all all those things definitely different when i had my first when i had my first i was kind of like you know you're just a new parent you're like oh my baby's going to kindergarten they're going to go to school. And then you'd be like, oh, PTA. Oh, you can volunteer in the classroom. And so then the next kid, you know, is you, 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 you get better each kid. You just know more because it's your, like we'll have a new shared experience with our kids going to college. We never had a kid going to college before, man. These, <laughs> I, this is going to be, it'll be, a, yeah, it'll be a good, it's going to be a good year. But when that <laughs> second one goes to college, then we'll be like, oh, yeah, those, those yeah. ones. Oh, Got yeah. It. Got it. Okay, got it. Right. Check, check. We'll know what, you know, we were trying to figure out acronyms. And, you know, there's a lot of special education acronyms. There's college acronyms also. And we are trying to figure out FYJ. So we're Googling because she, you know, we're trying to figure out, I don't know what that means. First year journey. 
<laughs> something that they do at their school. We're like, I don't know. And that's how parents with IPs were like, you know, we're throwing out the terms and learning new things. And no, we, we were, we were, yeah, we were lucky in uh, our, our first. Right. Right. Kind of trailblazed for us a lot of that stuff. Right. Um, and gave us opportunities because we weren't, you know, on IEPs or mm -hmm. any stuff with him. And so right. it was, we were just having conversations with teachers. Right. We, we were just having conversations. We were, just, and it was, you were building those relationships. Yes. And it's just so, it to look back at it now, it's just so funny that those relationships kind of get broken when yeah. you bring that special ed component into yeah. that relationship yep. because it puts everybody yes it does it, everybody kind of jumps back a little bit like oh well if i say something is it going to be bad is it going to be right. against me is it right you know, am i saying something that i shouldn't am i saying something my principal's not going to agree with right. and it's just it <clears throat> that whole again the system this system yep it is almost designed to ruin our our relationship with with teachers right. Well, it's been fun. I love talking to you. I, I can do it all day. We do a monthly. We should. A monthly chit chat. We should go live more or in or podcast more. Because um, I really want to. Maybe we could work together and put kind of a action plan. Because we're action action led people. So I yeah. don't like to complain about it. I want to. Let's do something about encourage it. Encourage parents to. And not just special ed parents, because it can't just be, right? It just no. can't be us. Mm -hmm. We're already no. having a lot of things. We got to start talking as uh, our, communi our community to the larger community so they can see. And that's why I think it's important. Like, that's why I talk about inclusion. It's important for us as a family. And right now, it is an appropriate placement for him to be in the genetic setting mm -hmm. because the conversations that I'm having with his teachers and some of his um, classmates that we, you know, walk around and they like, Hey, Josiah. And okay, you know, it's important for them to have and, and to see in order to, to make see him. Really, yes, literally, it's just to, to see adjustment. You can't do it. Like you say, you can't do it if you can't see him, it's yeah. just going to be a goal or a something on paper. And then when you put it into reality, you're like, mm. yeah. 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 So. No, I, let's create action plans. Let's yes, do it. Let's let's a meet. little action plan for the school year. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Oh my God, thank you. I love talking to you. And um, I will see you on the gram. Tell Lisa and the family I said hello. <laughs> I will. I will. Absolutely. All right. All right. Thank Take you. Care. Yeah, okay. thank you. Bye. Bye.